Chapter Nine of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter Nine. While Antifer was performing in this quartet party, Enogate and Jewel had gone off to the Marie and the church. At the Marie, the clerk of the marriage department, a leather-faced old fellow engaged in the manufacture of honeymoons, had shown them the notice of their band stuck up among the other notices. At the cathedral, the vicar promised them a choral service, a dress, organ, and bells complete. How happy they were! With what impatience, ill-disguised on the part of Jewel, more reserved on the part of Anogate, did they wait for the 5th of April, the date that had been won from their uncle's hesitations? How busy they were with their preparations, their wardrobe, their furniture for the pretty room on the first floor, which the generous Tregomain embellished every day with odds and ends that during many years he had collected among the shorefolk of the rants. Was he not their confidant, and could they have found a better, a safer depository of their hopes and future projects? And twenty times a day would the old bargeman repeat, I would give a lot for the marriage to be over. And why, my good Gildas, the girl would ask, a little uneasy. Fred Antifer is so singular when he gets astride of his hobby, and goes prancing among his millions. That, too, was Jewel's opinion. When you depend on an uncle, an excellent man but somewhat unsettled, you are sure of nothing until the yes has been uttered before the Marie. And as is usual among sailor families, there is no time to lose. Either they would have to remain unmarried, or be married as soon as possible. Jewel was under orders to sail as first mate of one of the bailiff's largest ships, and then for what months, for what years even, he might be on the seas, thousands of miles from his wife and children, if God blessed their union. As a sailor's daughter, Enogate had reconciled herself to long voyages taking her husband away from her, never imagining it could be otherwise, and therefore all the more reason for not losing a day, as their lives would consist of so many during which they would be separated. It was of their future that they were talking about when they returned from their walk. To their surprise, they saw two strangers come out of the house in the Rue des Hautes Salles, and move off gesticulating furiously. Had these people been to call on Captain Antifer? Jewel had a presentiment that something unusual had occurred. And any doubt as to this was removed when he and Enogate heard the noise overhead and the improvised song, the last lines of which could be heard on the further ends of the ramparts. Had their uncle gone out of his mind? What is the matter, aunt? asked Jewel. Your uncle is dancing, my children, said the nun. But he cannot shake the house like this. No, that is Tregomain. What? Is Tregomain dancing too? Probably not to annoy uncle, said Enogate. The three went upstairs, and very naturally supposed that Antifer had gone mad, when they saw him capering about and yelling at the top of his voice, I have my long, long, I have my jid-jid-tood. And then Tregomain, joining in, puffing as if he were in danger of a stroke of apoplexy. Oh, yes, his jit, his longitude. A revelation suddenly enlightened Jewel. Those two strangers who had left the house, was this the untoward messenger of Kamalik Pasha who had arrived at last? The young man turned pale, and stopping Antifer in the middle of a step. What, uncle, he said, have you got it? I have it. He has it, murmured Tregomain, and he sank onto a chair which, being unable to oppose an impossible resistance, broke to pieces beneath him. As soon as their uncle had recovered his breath, Enogate and Jewel were told what had happened the day before, the arrival of Ben Omar and his clerk, the attempt at extortion relative to Kamley's letter, the contents of the will, the exact longitude of the island where the treasure was buried. Captain Antifer had only to stoop to pick it up. Well, uncle, now that these two individuals know where the nest is, they can get it before you can. 
Wait a minute, exclaimed Antifer, shrugging up his shoulders. Do you think I was fool enough to give them the key to the strong box? And Tregomain emphasized the question by solemnly shaking his head. A strong box which holds four millions. And the word millions appeared to swell in Antifer's mouth as if it would choke him. If he had expected that this declaration would be welcomed with shouts of enthusiasm, he was promptly undeceived. What? A shower of gold which Denae would have been jealous. Torrent of diamonds and precious stones pouring onto this humble house, and not a hand held out for them, not one to tear off the roof so as not to lose a drop of the rain of wealth. Yet so it was. A glacial silence received the phrase stuffed with millions so triumphantly declaimed by the author. And that is it, he said, looking at one after the other, his sister, his nephew, his niece, his friend. I tell you I am as rich as Croesus, that I returned from El Dorado laden with gold enough to sink me, and you did not even fall on my neck and wish me joy. There was no reply, nothing but eyes cast down and faces turned away. Well, Nanon? Yes, brother, replied Nanon. It is a nice little fortune. A nice little fortune, more than three hundred thousand francs to eat every day of the year. And you, Inogate, do you also think it is a nice little fortune? Uncle, said the girl, it is not necessary to be as rich as that. Yes, I know, I know the rest. Money does not make happiness. Is that your opinion, Mr. Captain? asked the uncle of his nephew. My opinion, replied Jewel, is that the Egyptian ought to have thrown the title of Pasha into the bargain. For so much money and no title. Ha <laughs> ha! Enter for Pasha, said the bargeman with a chuckle. Steady there, in a tone of command. Steady there, ex-captain of the Charmante Amélie. Are you trying to make fun of me? I, my worthy friend, replied Tregomine, certainly not. And if you are so pleased with your millions, I offer you a hundred million compliments. But why was it that the family received the exaltations of his chief so coldly? He might perhaps think no more of his plan of superb alliances for his niece and nephew. Perhaps he would give up his idea of breaking off, or at least delaying the marriage of Jewel and Anugate, although his longitude had arrived before the 6th of April. But there was a doubt as to this and hence the anxiety of Anogate and Jewel, Nanon, and Gildas Tregomain. Tregomain resolved to give his friend an opportunity of explaining. Better to know at once what was going to happen. At least they could discuss the matter, and let this terrible uncle hear reason. Look here, my friend, said Tregomain, rounding his back. Suppose you have these millions. Suppose? Why suppose? Well, let us say you have them. A good fellow like you, accustomed to live in a humble way. What are you going to do? What I please, replied Antifer, dryly. You are not going to buy all St. Malo, I imagine. All St. Malo, all St. Servan, and all Denard, if it suits me. And even at the ridiculous brook, the Rance, which has no other water than what the tide chooses to bring it. He knew that in insulting the Rance, he was stinging to the quick the one who had been up and down this charming river for twenty years of his life. That may be, said Tregomain, biting his lip. But you cannot eat a morsel more, or drink a glass more unless you buy a supplementary stomach. I will buy what I like, Mr. Freshwater Sailor, and if anyone says no to me, if I find any opposition among my own people, this was addressed to the lovers. I will eat my millions, I will dissipate them, I will turn them into smoke, into dust, and Jewel and Anoge shall have none of the two each I intend one day to leave them. Better say the four to both, my friend. Why? Because they're going to get married. This touched the burning question. Hold there, bargeman, said Antifer, in the voice of a stentor. 
up you go to the main royal and take a look around. This was the way of sending Tregomain about his business. Figuratively be it understood, for to hoist such a mast to the top of any mast would have been impossible without the aid of a capstan. Neither Nanon, nor Jewel, nor Anogate dare interfere in the conversation. The young captain got so white that he was evidently hardly able to master his indignation. But the bargeman was not one to desert anybody in the open sea. Approaching his friend, he said, However, you made a promise. What promise? To consent to their marriage. Yes, if the longitude did not come, and as the longitude has come, all the more reason for assuring their happiness. Exactly, and therefore Anogi shall marry a prince, if she can find one, and jewel a princess. There are none to marry, replied Tregomain, who could argue no more. You could always find one when you have a dowry of two millions to offer. Then you had better search. I will search, and I will find, and in the Almanac de Gothor, too. He meant to say Almanac de Gotha, this obstinate, intractable coaster, possessed with the idea of mingling the blood of potentates with the blood of the Antifers. But not wishing to prolong a conversation which might end badly, resolved to yield in no respect on this marriage question, he let it be understood, very clearly, that he wished to be left alone in his room and not to be disturbed by anybody before dinner. Tregermain judged it prudent not to withstand him, and all four went downstairs. They were all in despair, and the girl was crying. This was almost more than Tregermain could bear. I don't like people to cry, he said, not even when sorrow comes to them, my little one. But, said she, all is lost. Uncle will never give in. This enormous fortune has turned his head. Yes, said the nun, when my brother gets an idea into his head. Jubal did not speak. He strode about the room, crossing and uncrossing his arms, opening and shutting his hands. Suddenly, he exclaimed, After all, he is not master. I have no need of his permission to marry. I am of age. But Anogate is not, said the bargeman, and as her guardian, he can object. Yes, and we are all dependent on him, said Anon, bowing her head. My advice, said Tregomain, is not to impose him directly. It is not impossible that this mania will pass away, particularly if we seem to give in to him. You ought to be right, said Enogate. We shall gain more by gentleness than violence. At least I hope so. Besides, said the bargeman, he's not got the millions yet. No, said Jewel, and in spite of his latitude and his longitude, he may come to grief before he lays his hands on them. It will take a good deal of time. A good deal, murmured the girl. Yes, dear Enogate, and there may be delays. Ah, the confounded uncle. And the confounded brutes who have come from the confounded pasha, growled Anon. I should have welcomed them with the broomstick. They would have managed to see him all the same, said Jewel, and this Ben Omar, who has a commission on the business, would never have left him alone. Then, uncle is going away, asked Enogate. Probably, said Tregomain, now he knows where the island is. I will accompany him, said Jewel. You, Jewel, exclaimed the girl. Yes, it must be so. I should like to be there to prevent his committing some stupidity, to bring him back if he stays away too long. Well thought of, my boy, said the bargeman. Who knows where he may have dragged, running, after this treasure, and as to what dangers he may be exposed. Anagay felt as sad as ever, but she understood him. Jules' resolve was dictated by good sense. Perhaps the length of the voyage might be shortened by it. The young captain did his best to console her. He would write to her often. He would tell her all that happened. Nanon would not leave her, nor would Tregomain, who would see her every day, who would teach her resignation. 
"'Depend on me, my girl,' said the bargeman, much moved. "'I will teach you not to dwell on it too much. "'You don't know the adventures of the Charmante Amélie?' "'No, Anogi did not know them, "'for he had not yet dared to recount them for fear of Captain Antifer. "'Well, I will tell you them. "'They are very interesting. "'The time will pass. "'Some day you shall see your friend return with his millions under his arm, "'or the bag empty, and our brave jewel will take but one jump from the house to the cathedral. I will not stop you. If you like, I will have a new coat made while they are away, and wear it every morning. Below there! Bargeman! The well-known voice made the whole company start. He calls me, said Tregamane. What does he want with you? asked Nanon. That is not the way he speaks when he is angry, suggested Enogate. No, said Jewel. There is more impatience than anger in the tone. Tregamane! Will you come? I am coming, said Tregamane, and the stairs began to groan as the bargeman went up them. A minute afterwards, Antifred had pushed him across the room and locked the door. Then drawing him before the table on which the atlas was open, he held a pair of compasses out to him. Take this, he said. These compasses? Yes, said Antifred sharply. This island, this island with the millions in it, I've been trying to find its place on the map. And it is not there, exclaimed Tregamine, in a tone that betrayed less surprise than satisfaction. Who says so, replied Antifer, and why is this island not on the map? Then it is? If it is, I believe that it is, but I am so nervous my hands shake, the compasses burn my fingers, I cannot touch the map with them. And you want me to do it, if you are able to. Oh, said Tregamine. Well, try, and we shall see. Hold the compasses and run the point along the 54th meridian, or rather the 55th, for the islet is 54 degrees, 57 minutes. The figures began to trouble the worthy man's head. 57 degrees, 54 minutes, he repeated, blinking his eyes. No, animal, exclaimed Antifer. It is the contrary. Go on. Tregorian put the compasses on the western side of the map. No, roared his friend, not west. East. Understand you, Duffer. East, east, east. Tregomaine, deafened by these recriminations and objurgations, was incapable of doing the work properly. His eyes became veiled in a mist, drops of perspiration rolled down his forehead, and the compasses shook like the clapper of an electric bell. Touch the 55th meridian, vociferated Antifer. Begin at the top of the map and move it down until you cut the 24th parallel. The 24th parallel, stammered Tregomaine. Yes, the idiot. Yes, and the point where they cross is the position of the island. The position... Well, go on down. I am going down. Oh, the noodle, you are going up. The truth is that the bargeman did not know where he was, and was no fitter than his friend to solve the problem. Both of them were greatly agitated, and their nerves were vibrating like the strings of a double bass in the finale of an overture. Captain Antifer thought he was going mad, and so doing the only thing he could, he shouted for Jewel in a voice that sounded as if it came through a speaking trumpet. The young captain appeared almost immediately. What do you want, uncle? Jewel, where is Camelique Pasha's island? Where the longitude crosses the latitude. Well, look for it. That was enough for Jewel. His uncle's agitation told him what had happened. Taking the compasses in a hand which did not tremble, he placed the point where the 55th meridian started from the north of the map and followed it down. Tell me where it passes, commanded Captain Antifer. Yes, uncle, said Jewel. And thus it was, he continued. Franz Joseph land in the Arctic Sea. Good. Barents Sea. Well? 
Novaya Zemilia. After, Karasi. And then, the north of Asiatic Russia. What towns does it run through? First, Ekaterinburg. Then, Siovaral. Go on. Kiva in Turkestan. Are we getting near? Very soon. Herat in Persia. Is that it? Muscat at the southeast end of Arabia. Muscat, exclaimed Antifer, leaning over the map. In fact, the 55th meridian and the 24th parallel crossed on the territory of the Sultan of Muscat and that part of the Gulf of Oman above the Persian Gulf, separating Arabia from Persia. Muscat, repeated Captain Antifer. Muscat, asked Tregomain. Not Muscat, but Muscat, you bargee, roared his friend, shrugging his shoulders up to his ears. But this was only approximate, for they had as yet taken no account of the minutes. You are sure it is Muscat? Yes, uncle, within seventy miles of it. Can you get any nearer? Yes. Then go on, go on. Don't you see I am bursting with impatience? And a boiler worked up as he was would have been on the point of explosion. Joel picked up the compasses again, and taking account of the minutes and the longitude and latitude, he obtained a position so exactly that he could only be a mile or two out. Well? asked Antifer. Well, uncle, it is not on the territory of the Sultan of Muscat, but a little to the east of it, in the Gulf of Oman. To be sure. Why to be sure? asked Tregamine. Because if it's an island, it cannot be on a continent, you bargeman. This was said in a tone impossible to describe. Tomorrow, added Antifer, we will begin our preparations for departure. You are right, said Jewel, resolved not to withstand his uncle. We will see if there is a ship in the harbor bound for Port Said. That will be the best, for you have not a day to lose. No, they should not steal my island from me. Oh, it will take a famous thief to do it, answered Tregomain, and Antifer shrugged his shoulders again. You will accompany me, Jewel. Yes, uncle, said Jewel. And you too, Mr. Bargeman. Me? Yes, you. These two words were uttered in such a commanding tone that the worthy man's head could do nothing but bow in sign of consent. And yet he had reckoned on Antifer's absence to be able to console Enogate by recounting the adventures of the Charmante of Ali on the fresh waters of the Rance. End of chapter 9